Um, Dan, like Dan mentioned, we're, uh, uh, Tim Woodcock is going to be speaking today. My name is Matt. I'm uh, one of the pastors here as well. Um, what we've been doing the last, uh, probably the month of July and even before that, is just doing a set of sermons focusing on the Holy Spirit. And what is he? What is the Holy Spirit? What's he do? I spoke a number of weeks on it. Dan talked about the Holy Spirit last week. And when I was thinking of someone else kind of from the outside to come in and uh, speak to us, I uh, first thought of actually Tim Woodcock. Tim is uh, one of the pastors at Genesis Church, which is the church across from the football stadium on the bypass. Uh, Tim's, you might have noticed Tim's been leading worship here occasionally. He leads once in a while. But his main, his main gig is at the uh, Genesis Church on the bypass. His dad, David, has taught here before. And um, so uh, Tim's going to come speak to us today. And let me give you a little intro on Tim. I mean, he's, of course, he's a, he's a f- husband, he's a father, he's a son, he's a dad. Um, but the one word I'll use to describe Tim, and I mean this genuinely and honestly, is uh, he always strikes me as having a great deal of humility, which... Um, if, that doesn't, if that's not in existence in somebody's life, especially in somebody who's leading in ministry, it's a real dangerous thing. But Tim has a real heart of humility, while at the same time having a sense of boldness and strength about him. So uh, let's welcome Tim to this morning to Exodus. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Amen. Are we good? Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. That, that, uh, that means a lot. I'd like to get that in recording for my wife later. And, um, honey, I was told I was humble today, that I walk in humility, so that's, that's good. I like to say I'm the humblest guy I know. I'm joking. Um, yeah, it is, it is a great honor to be here. I know a lot of you already uh, by a first-name basis. Some of you I don't know, uh, but I love your church, love your pastoral staff, love the leadership here and what they, what they do uh, week in and week out, and just really appreciate their ministry and their giftings and and uh, become very good friends with them over the past couple of years. And uh, Matt and I, just over the really the past year and a half, maybe two years, just journeying together with some stuff and uh, having great conversations and dialogue over coffee and just talking about church life, talking about church leadership, talking about the great things that we love, talking about the frustrating things at times, and uh, also just kind of working out together some of our theology and some of our doctrine. And, and uh, I, I realize full well that... Um, we come from different backgrounds, and I might come from a different background than many of you here this morning. Uh, I listened to Pastor Dan's sermon while I was on vacation this past week from last week, and I love that you compared the Holy Spirit to Bigfoot. That is definitely a first for me. I have never heard that, and uh, you know, this is one of those conversations that I have a lot of times with leaders and pastors, and so I, I really am honored to be here and share with you just some of my thoughts, uh, really from Scripture. I believe everything has to line up with Scripture. And uh, I, I'm going to get a little theological for a moment, and, and I hope I don't bore you in that. But out of it, I hope that we can get some good application, and hopefully you walk out of here a little different, a little challenged, a little uh, maybe transformed by the renewing of your mind, and just walk out of here encouraged. But first, a little background about me. Uh, Pastor Matt, Pastor Dan, over the past couple of weeks, they've been sharing about the Holy Spirit and their journey in this process, and uh, how they both came from churches. Uh, I believe you refer to the Holy Spirit kind of like uh, as the stepchild. Uh, I've heard some people say that the Holy Spirit in many churches growing up is kind of like the crazy uncle that you leave in the, in the closet and you don't let out because when you let him out, it gets wild and out of control and things happen and sometimes you just don't know where, what he's going to say or what he's going to do. Uh, I, on the other hand, come from a completely different background. Uh, I was uh, raised in a Pentecostal church. No Pentecostals out there. I was waiting for my shout down right there. That was your perfect moment to give me an amen. Come on, brother. All right, something like that. Um, I am third generation Pentecostal on my father's side, and I am the fifth generation on my mother's side. And so that is my heritage. I come from the complete opposite. The Holy Spirit uh, basically consumed about 90% of our sermons. It was kind of like the, uh, the celebrity in our services. And uh, growing up as a kid, it was very common to constantly hear about the Holy Spirit, hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, hear people speaking in gibberish, hear people falling out under the power of God. This is kind of the context of what I grew up in. And so one of the things I love about uh, Pastor Matt and myself is when we talk, 
we talk about this whole idea as pastors, how do we bring the church into an alignment or a balance of walking in the power of the Spirit, and yet we come from two totally different perspectives. On Pastor Matt's end, many times, he said, I'm trying to get my people to come a little further into the unknown. On my end, I feel like Paul with the church at Corinth, and I'm saying, hey, you crazies, hey, you out of control people, there is a biblical ordained balance in how we operate with the gifts. And so I'm trying on this end to kind of say, let's get in the middle here and let's get some balance. Let's get a little bit of order. And you have to understand in the charismatic services and settings that I grew up in, that word order is kind of like a curse word. All right. It's kind of like, wait a second, are you trying to squelch the spirit? You know, and so these are the things that we deal with. Um, but in that, I've been enjoying the process. I've been enjoying the journey. I've been constantly going back to scripture and kind of just saying, okay, if there is a counterfeit, God, if there is a counterfeit in this realm of things that I see that people claim are the Holy Spirit and, and there's something discerning inside of me that I say, I'm not so sure that's it. Uh, my desire is not to say I want to throw it away because that doesn't look like how I believe it lines up with the Bible. Uh, that is not this. But my desire is, is if there is a counterfeit, then where is the real? Where is the authentic? Where is uh, the, the balance, the biblical ordained balance of what it means to be a people full of the Spirit? Uh, what it means to be a people led by the Spirit? What it means to be uh, baptized in His presence and, and have those encounters and have those experiences? Uh, growing up in the church that I grew up in uh, on Sunday nights, we used to have Sunday night services. Uh, we used to have these times that we call testimony time. And uh, I remember there was a, a gentleman, an elderly gentleman in our church. He used to always stand up every time he had a chance. He wanted to give that testimony. And uh, it was just kind of our heritage. He would stand up and he would say, in the year of 1973, under an old white tent at a tent revival, I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I began to speak in an unknown language. And from that day forward, I no longer drank. I no longer chewed. I no longer ran with women that do. And uh, I've been set free and delivered from that point. And so as a kid, this is kind of the context of what I grew up in. And I was very confused as, okay, what does that mean? You, you got the Holy Ghost. You know, well, what does that look like? And I was a pastor's kid, and I was submerged in it. And even at a young age, because I was very analytical, sometimes to the point of being cynical, I would always ask these questions and ask my parents and ask my grandparents and, and say, okay, what does it mean to, to get the Holy Ghost? Like, what, is, what does that look like? And, and how is that applicable to my life? And, and when he says an unknown language, to me, honestly, it sounds like gibberish. And I'm not so sure about all that stuff. Now, I, I realize here too at Exodus, you guys use this term, weird, weird radar or weird, weird meter. And so the moment that I said Pentecostal and like gibberish and tongues, the weird meter just went skyrocketing through the roofs, right? No? Okay, yeah. So um, uh, it will get better in a moment here, but I'm just trying to lay that background. Uh, it will get weirder too, I promise. So, uh, but I'm just trying to give you that background so you understand this is my journey. This is where I'm coming from. And so this morning what I'd like to do is i really like to look at three different questions. I know you guys have been laying this out, some groundwork, some theological basis. But I, wanna, I want you to ask these three questions. And uh, if you have notes, you can write this down. In fact, uh, uh, Pentecostals are the best at cliche sayings. There's this term that I used to always hear. Uh, and since we're talking about notes, this is a rabbit trail, by the way. But um, uh, in note take, I usually hear this preacher always say this. Revival or religious services are when young people take notes because they're bored out of their mind. Revival is when young people take notes because they know it takes a little paper to get a fire started. <laughs> no? All right. Anyway, so... Once again, my context. But here's the three questions. Here's the big ideas I want you to look at. All right, number one, what is the promise of the Holy Spirit? Number two, what are the, the distinctive evidences, and I think Dan kind of hit on this last week, the distinctive evidences of the Holy Spirit. And number three, what, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? All right, now we understand, and Matt has laid this groundwork for you guys, Pastor Matt, that the, the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit in essence really is God. All right, and so it's not just the crazy uncle, it's not just the stepchild or the Bigfoot, this mystical thing that we put over there. And yeah, we believe it's real up here, but we don't know how that plays into our life. But the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is God. All right, and so we're going to look at these. What is the promise? What are the distinctive evidences? And then thirdly, what really is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? So number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, go to John. If you don't, it's right here. I'm going to kind of lay out some groundwork here, and then we'll move forward. John 16, 12 through 14, Jesus speaking. He says this to his disciples. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify, this is very important, he will glorify me. This is something I have to teach to our church all the time, that the Holy Spirit glorifies who? Jesus, all right? The Holy Spirit does not glorify gifts. The Holy Spirit does not glorify the supernatural realm. The, glo- the Holy Spirit does not glorify this mystical realm of uh, just kind of ecstasy and whatever, you know, spiritual ecstasy. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. It should always point to Christ in his finished work on the cross. Very important for us to understand. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. He knows that he's getting ready to depart from this earth getting ready to leave from this earth, and he says, one is coming, the spirit, the spirit of truth, and he will be with you. And he will help you. He will guide you. He will lead you. All right, you see all this language being used here. The Holy Spirit will help you. He'll guide you. He will reveal things. He will lead you. All right, so we get that element of the spirit of the promise. John 20 then, I love this. It says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he has said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so this is after Jesus has resurrected from the grave. All right, he, he has appeared to the disciples. He's getting ready to depart, and he, he breathes on them, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the imagery here, this language in the Greek of breathing, it's kind of like a parallel with that in the beginning in Genesis when, uh, in, in the formation of Adam, when he breathed into Adam life. Okay, this is important. I'll go there in a moment. But he breathed into Adam life. It's kind of the same language being used here that Jesus breathes into them. He is resurrected. And so in this moment, I believe theologically that what he is doing is he is breathing into these disciples new life. They are becoming born again. All right, they are receiving forgiveness of their sins. He has been the once and for all substitutionary atonement for their sins. He has paid the price. All right, it is taken care of. And he is, theologically, the word there is regenerating. All right, he is making them new. All right, now it gets a little confusing because here we see that Jesus breathes on them life. But then also in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1, 4, and 5, he says again, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so a lot of times when people begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of confusion in this realm because in John 20 we see after the resurrection, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, right? Are you with me so far? But then he goes on and he says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. For the Holy Spirit. So, so what, is, what is going on here? What is, what is happening? Is, is Jesus contradicting himself with these statements? He, he breathes on, did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit in John 20? Yes. All right. Did he, they receive it? But then he goes on and he says, but I also, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so there's this continual promise that Jesus gives. The promise of the Holy Spirit given to us by Jesus is simply this, that we as followers of Christ would not be left on our own in this journey. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says, I I am going to a place, but the one who comes after me, the comforter, the one who will reveal truth, he will come and he will take residence in your life. He will be with you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that as Christ followers, as disciples of Christ, we are not left to our own. Now this is very important. This is a beautiful promise. Jesus just didn't accomplish his work on the cross ascend into heaven and say, okay, for the next several thousand years, have at it. And, and, and we would say as Christians many times that we don't believe in agnosticism, but yet that sometimes is the formation that we take in our faith is that we think Jesus finished the work once and for all, ascended to heaven, and then has left us as his Christ followers to have at it. On our own, go ahead, just 
be Christians, be followers of me. But the promise of the Holy Spirit is that God is actually with us. Why? Because when we receive Christ, or he saves us, however you want to say it, when he comes and takes residence, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives and dwells in us. When, when, when the word of God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you, it, it's really speaking prophetically of that realm of the spirit, the spirit of Christ. He lives in us. Now, to me, that, that gives me hope. Because Tim Woodcock, in and of himself, does not have the ability to walk this walk. I don't have the strength and the power to make it in this journey of life. But when I know that the spirit of Christ lives in me, that the promise has been given that I have been not left to my own, but he is with me, that he is helping me, that he is leading me into truth. This is a beautiful promise. Now, the promise is also this, that that after we receive salvation or regeneration in our lives by the spirit, there is a continual or subsequent or an ongoing experience or activity of the Spirit in our lives. Now, this is what I believe Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan have, have really been hitting on, is that this whole realm of the Holy Spirit doesn't just stop at our salvation. And for many Christians, this is what they have experienced in the church throughout their life, is that they, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they say, okay, he, the Holy Spirit regenerated my heart, or he convicted me of sin, or he has helped and sanctified me, but once I became saved, that's it for the work of the Holy Spirit. Done. Period. The Holy Spirit doesn't just stop his work at salvation, but when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, but also wait, he's, he's speaking of this language that there is a continual activity of the Spirit that is to happen in our lives. That as Christ's followers, we are to be a people that are continual, continually being led by his Spirit every single day. Now, in my camp, in my background, they understood this doctrine that it's not just stopping at salvation, but where they put the period, as Pastor Matt likes to say, or where they put the stamp of the ending is that they received salvation, and they, then they had an encounter or an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, period, end. I was saved in 1967. I was baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1969. Praise the Lord. Shout glory. Amen. Let's all go home. But what Jesus teaches us here about the promise is that the one who is coming won't just save us and regenerate us, all right, but he is one that will continually be with us throughout life. It's an ongoing activity. It's not just a once-time experience that you felt his presence and you thought, well, maybe that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what the book of Acts, Acts speaks like. No, it's, it's an ongoing activity. What does that mean? What does that look like for each and every one of us in our journey? It looks like this, 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 this place that we get to in our lives where we wake up every day and we learn to say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? How can I be led by your Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom in my decisions. Help me to make the right decisions that are led by, your, by you. Help me not to get into my own agenda, but keep me true to your word, to your purpose, and to your plan. So are you with me so far? All right, when we receive Christ, the Spirit comes and resides in us, but it doesn't stop there. We are to be a people that have the Spirit of God continually working in our lives. Now it gets really weird here, all right? Go to Acts 2, all right? I'm warning you, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. The second thing I want to look at here is the, the distinctive evidences of the Holy Spirit. All right, in Acts 2, 1 through 4, this is that, that passage of scripture that we read and we quickly, if we didn't grow up in charismatic circles, skip over, all right? If we grew up in charismatic circles, we spend about five years of teaching on this, all right? So here we go. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, now, this in and of itself is actually a miracle when you think about this. They were all together in one place, all right? Th this speaks of unity. The, the disciples, the guys who fought with each other over and over again over who would be seated at the right hand, of, you know, who would have the rightful place in heaven and who was the most important, they were together in unity, all right? Other verses say, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
gave them utterance. Watch this. They were, remember Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait. John 20, he says, he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. But then he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. And then in Acts 2, we see this, that they were all filled. Everyone say that. Say filled. filled with the, and, and it's very important. I'll get to it in a moment. It's not just a one-time filling. This is what Pentecostals, where they make the error many times, is about that one-time experience, that one-time baptism. And all we see here that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll get to that in a moment. Go to the next verse here. Acts 10. This is Peter. I know I'm skipping through a lot of scripture here, but just stay with me. Peter at Cornelius' house, and he's led here through uh, really a supernatural vision to go to this home and to share the message of Jesus resurrected with these people. And in Acts 10, 44 through 46, we read this. While Peter was still saying these things, he's been teaching them, he's been preaching them, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now this was huge. This was huge. They thought that this gift was just for the people of Israel, right? It was just for the Jews, all right? For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, all right? Once again, supernatural manifestation. Acts 19, we we read of Paul at Ephesus, and he comes across these people, and he basically says, have you guys been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they kind of respond by saying what? They say, we really didn't even know there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We didn't even know. And and he kind of asked some questions, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began what? Speaking in tongues and prophesying. Once again, a, a supernatural manifestation. And so we understand that we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the promise of the Holy Spirit is that he comes in our lives, that salvation, but he longs to be continually in us and give us this continual experience, uh, whether it be a baptism experience of the Holy Spirit or whether it be just an encounter we have where we say, wow, something amazing just happened. You know, and, and for many of you, you've had those encounters. You've been maybe in a worship service where you're worshiping and you just felt like the presence of God was so real and tangible to you and you just felt different and, you, and maybe you were even overcome with emotions and you're like, what was that? Maybe you weren't even in a service. You were in God's beautiful creation on a hike or, or on a lake and, and all of a sudden you just felt like praying and, and, and you were overcome with emotion and you were overcome with just his presence and, and just the magnitude of God's beauty and you just felt like something magnificent had just happened and you're kind of like, what, what was that all about? What was that all about? And so for every one of us, we, we really have had these encounters. All right? And the interesting thing to know is that when it comes to distinctive evidences of the Holy Spirit, that many times, many times, we will experience what are called, you ready to be weirded out here, supernatural manifestations. We will experience supernatural manifestations. What that means is that things will happen in our lives and to us that kind of catch us off guard. And for some of us, it's like, I don't even know what just happened. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, whoa, where am I? What just happened? Wait a second, right? And, and when it comes to this, this life in the spirit and being filled with his spirit, there are times that supernatural things will happen in and around your life. In the book of Acts, we see continually uh, tongues, this, this weird gift that people didn't understand or explain, but it was kind of like this prophetic declaration of the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming on all generations, fulfilling Joel's prophecy. And, and we believe that, that in the book of Acts, that, that the book of Acts wasn't a finished book, meaning that it was to continue on, that life of the church was to continue on throughout all generations. Uh, I, I really struggle when people adhere to this doctrine of what's called cessationism, meaning that the gifts and the things that we read about in Acts really aren't for us today. They were only for the early, early church. And many times the people that come from that camp, they, they pride themselves on proper scriptural exegesis, and yet they do the worst job at ex- exegeting the scripture in that context, and they just say, well, we don't understand it, so we think it's just for Acts, and it's just for those people, and it's really, it's really not for us, right? 
I mean, we have, we have the word of God, so it's a closed canon, so therefore we, we don't really need that stuff. But when you look at Scripture, that's not what you see in the New Testament. When you look at the New Testament, you see a people being led by a spirit that continually encountered supernatural things. And here's the kicker. We think it's irregular and not normal. But for the early church, this was normal Christianity. Right? We think, well, that's for super spiritual Christians. Or that's for Christians in Africa. Or that's for Christians in South America. But, you know, here in the West, we're really enlightened. We're really educated. We're really smart. We have all types of great theology and doctrine that we don't agree on. So therefore, we don't really need that. But when you look at the New Testament church, that's not the way it was. It was the regular. It was the norm. They were a spirit-led people that it was very common for little different things to happen. Supernatural things, miracles, signs, wonders, tongues, which was simply, I don't have time to get into that this moment, but it was a prayer language that they didn't know what they were speaking, but they would be praying, and all of a sudden, this thing would take over them, and they'd be, they would be speaking this unknown language, and they would be like, okay, I don't know what it is, but I feel edified, I feel encouraged. Paul talks about it, read through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all right? And so we see prophecy that they would get get words of knowledge and words of wisdom that we see here in, in Acts 10, Cornelius' house, Peter, he had this vision. Now to us in, in America, visions sound weird, don't they? Wait, when someone comes up to you and say, I had a vision, what's your response? Uh, okay, cuckoo, twilight zone, kind of a little different here. But for the church in Acts, for the early believers, this, this was the norm. This was just a part of who they were as Christians. This is something that they, and this is huge, this was something that they depended on. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit operating in and around their lives. They were constantly persecuted. They were under so much uh, persecution and strife and even division from outside and from inside that they were a people that had to depend on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the way it happened was manifested in supernatural ways that I'm sure even them, they didn't always get. They didn't always understand. But here's the key. They trusted in it. Uh, these distinctive evidences, they, they caused the early church to have a supernatural trust in the unknown. As Midwesterners, okay, or as Americans or a Canadian myself, uh, as North Americans, we don't do well with trusting the unknown, right? How many people like to be in the know? Confession is good for the soul. Go ahead, raise your hands, all right? How many, yeah, I like, to be, I like to know what the plan is. I always have a plan. I always have a plan. My, my wife, she, I go on vacation, and I have a plan. You know, and sometimes it drives her nuts because I, I'm very efficient with my time. I believe if you're on time, you're 15 minutes late. All right, so I'm, I'm always, that's just the way I'm wired. My wife, she's like a time warp. All right, she's off and long, she's never on time for anything. Her and her sister, never, ever. It doesn't matter how much preparation, I promise you, it's consistent at least, she will be late. All right, and so I'm a person and I'm wired in the way that I like to know. I like to be in the know. I want to know what's going on. And sometimes as Christians, this is how we treat our walk with Christ. We always want to be in the know, so what we do is we create theology and we systematize everything to where we are in the know and we have control and power over who God is, what he can and can't do, and we fit them into this tight fit box. But the early Christians in Acts, there were people that, I'm not saying theology is bad, theology is very important, my degree is in theology, but they, when we look at the early church, there were people that they trusted in the unknown. They didn't know where they were going to spend their next night sometimes. I mean, when you, when you read even the journey with, with, with Paul and how he ends up from one place to the next, I mean, it's just a constant, okay, Holy Spirit, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to share this message with? I trust in you. I don't always know where I'm going. I don't know, always know what I'm doing, but, but I trust in you. And yeah, these things that are happening, trust me, tongues probably weirded them out too. They didn't 
fully understand. They didn't have great theology around it. But they said, you know what? God is here. He is moving. His presence is real. And it's just a, it's just a manifestation saying that God wants to speak to us. Why? Because the promise is he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so even in these manifestations, even in these supernatural things, it's simply this. God is here. He desires to commune with his people. He has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. I love Jack Deere. He's one of my favorite writers. And he was a, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary who was a cessationist in his theology. Basically raised Southern Baptist. Didn't believe the gifts were for today. And he had a radical experience that just completely transformed his thinking on that. And he says this. He says, much of today's church, they have more confidence in Satan's ability to deceive them than in Jesus Christ's ability, ability to lead them. And so this is where I feel sometimes the church in America gets hung up. It's because when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and Matt and I have talked about this a lot, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, when it comes to operating under the power of the Spirit, sometimes we're so afraid of the counterfeit. We're so afraid of the, the excess and the weird stuff. And we're so afraid that people might be deceived and misled, and, and, and Satan might use that to bring division and strife. And sometimes we're more consumed by that than we are by Jesus' ability through his Spirit to lead us. And there are even times in our services, and I understand we're maybe wired a little different than you people here at Exit, but there are times in our services, and we do it in order. We have worked really, try, really tried hard to work in order and do things proper and right, but there are times where I, I just have to recognize as a pastor, I don't know what's about to happen, but I just sense God is here. I believe he wants to speak to his people, and so we're just going to take a minute or two and just to step back. I'm going to take my hands off this for a moment. I'm just going to step back. And Holy Spirit, I'm just going to allow you to speak to us. And sometimes it's individually. He speaks to people in those moments. And sometimes it's corporally. Someone gets what we would call maybe a, a prophetic word where they just, I feel like God is saying this to us as a congregation. And I, and I just want to, I want to lay this out there. And it's a trust. And I get that you have to trust your people. I get that you have to trust your leadership. But man, what a beautiful journey. And I, and I want you to understand, Exodus, count yourself privileged that you have pastors that want to go on this journey. And count yourself privileged that you have pastors that want to do this journey right and keep balance and keep order. They're not going to try to mislead you. They're going to, they're going to help bring structure and governance, and they're going to pastor this thing. But they are people. I, I sense it in their hearts. Every, there are people that say, I just want more of the Holy Spirit. I want him operating in our services. I want him operating in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. Count yourself privileged in that. Number three, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I forgot what time I even started at. So I'm probably, am I? Okay. All right, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. This is very important. Because this is where my camp or my, my upbringing really gets off. Really gets off. And I realize you're recording it. Just don't send it, send it into my denominational office. <laughs> All right. Um, because I, I will say some things here that they'll be like, wait a second, Tim. We ordained you. Well, I, I realize that. But there are a lot of people in my denomination that are feeling this. And they're sensing this. This is where sometimes my denomination doesn't get it right. Because what, what we did... In 1914, out of the Azusa Street Revival in 1900, you can look this all up later on if you're a history person or you're really into this kind of stuff. In 1914, a, a group of quote-unquote Pentecostal believers, 300 of them, gathered together in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they said, okay, we need, we need to bring some governance to this. We need to bring some formation to this. And they formed what was called the Assemblies of God. And the Assemblies of God was a charismatic Pentecostal doctrine that differed from a lot of the other Pentecostals because they accepted the traditional Orthodox theology of the Trinity, all right, so they didn't uh, adhere to modalism or oneness theology, but they said, no, we believe absolutely Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, so that was kind of how they, they, they formed. Uh, but what they did is because they had this experience or this encounter uh, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this thing that was beyond their understanding, and because there were many supernatural manifestations, and because of that, they were actually excommunicated from their Protestant churches, uh, they allowed, as I've done the study, they allowed kind of a spirit of resentment and bitterness to come in and, and, and created this theology and doctrine that, that elevated the evidences of the Holy Spirit rather than the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so instead of creating doctrine that said, wait a second, we don't see in Scripture where the gifts have ceased. 
We don't see it. It's not there. The gifts are for today. Yes, they may have laid dormant for many years, but we believe that the church was always to be operating. And instead of just creating that, they created this elitism kind of doctrine where they, they said, not only are the gifts for today, but we're walking in the fullness because we prophesy, speak in tongues, have divine healing, miracle signs and wonders, and you guys, you're not. So it really created this, this divide, and, this, and they elevated these evidences. But the important thing is, when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit operati- operating in our lives, supernatural things happen, but let's not get distracted by those supernatural things. What is the greater purpose of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives? It's not so that we could just pray in tongues or prophesy or supernaturally give generously, as Pastor Dan talked about last week. It's not just so that we could have these charismatic gifts, but it's so that we could be empowered by his spirit so that we could, as Acts 1.8 says, be witnesses to the entirety of the world. When you read the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, you see this constant theme. You see the gospel of Jesus Christ continually being proclaimed in every region. And so here is a people that are led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but not hung up on the distinctive evidences. But everywhere they go, they testify and they speak of who? The resurrected Lord Jesus. And Jesus prophesied in Acts 1, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? To the to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, 37, 41, after they've had this powerful encounter, this supernatural, crazy, we're talking weird meter right through the roof, what's going on here, tongues of fire, all these utterances, all these unknown languages, what is going on? We see this, we see that Peter, right, get this, Peter, the guy who just several weeks earlier was a coward and denying Christ, all of a sudden gets this boldness to stand up and proclaim and preach what we now know as the good news, the gospel of the, of the resurrected Lord Jesus. And he says this, now when they heard this, he preached his sermon, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. Watch this, this is multi-generational. All right, for you and for your children, all who are far off. Peter didn't even realize that he's actually prophesying about the Gentiles here. And, and Peter struggled with the gospel going to the Gentiles at one time. But in his first sermon, he actually declares it's for all who are, who are far off. For the, and, God, and all those whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000. Now, did you catch that? Peter, under the power of the Holy Spirit, all right, Peter, right, insert foot in mouth, that guy, right, constantly, he goes from being Peter to Satan all in one paragraph when hanging out with Jesus about who do people say that I am. Like this, this guy, he's kind of a bonehead, all right? He's not a theologian. He doesn't, he gets a, he stands up under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit out of this encounter and he begins to proclaim and the word of God says that about 3,000 were added that day. Now, in America, the reality is we have about 3,000 ministers preaching 3,000 sermons sometimes to see one person come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here in Acts, we read of one guy under the power of the Holy Spirit preaching one sermon and 3,000 people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowered him to boldly proclaim this good news. And it's so important that no matter where we are in our journey, no matter where we are in our walk, in this, in this thing of being spirit-filled people, that we understand that sometimes supernatural things happen, but let's not get consumed by that. Let's not get focused on that. Let's understand the greater purpose. What, what is the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives? And so that we can have boldness where 
to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How is that significant for us today? Now let's look at Jerusalem, all right? In Acts 2, Acts 2, 13 through 41, we won't go there, but we see that the word of God is preached in Jerusalem and Judea. All right, so we see this, this declaration by Jesus being fulfilled even in Acts, okay? So the word of God is preached. Now what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem were basically the chosen people of God. They were the brothers and sisters. They were the family of God. They were those that were close, all right? And so they were God-fearing Jews. They were keepers of the law. And it's interesting to note that the first people that Jesus says to go proclaim this to are the religious. Are the ones that, that, that think they have it all right. And how is that applicable for us today? It means that as individual Christians, you and I are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, first, first here to the church. And for me as a father, first to my, to my family, I'm called to contend for the gospel of Jesus in my own household. Before I go off thinking that I need to proclaim any good news to those that are supposedly far off and lost, I, I better get it right here first. I better get it right in my, with my three daughters. I better represent Christ rightly to them first. I better teach them about the things of God. I better teach them about the good news of Jesus. And so for every one of us, we have a Jerusalem, don't we? We have, a, we have those that are close to us. And we're called to contend for the gospel. We're called to speak the gospel and declare it, the good news of Jesus. Secondly, we see Samaria, Acts 8, 1 through 5. The word is preached in Samaria. And I love this because, remember, we see that this great persecution arose. And because of that persecution, the believers, they scattered. All right? And, and I love this because it's interesting to note that, that God, he uses this persecution. Now follow me here. He uses the persecution of the church, of these believers, to scatter them to the place of unfamiliarity. Jerusalem was what they knew. Jerusalem was a comfortable context. And because of persecution, we see the Holy Spirit orchestrating and moving and through his providence, scattering these believers to get out of the place of comfort. This is what the Spirit-filled life is really about, getting out of the place of comfort and get into the place that's not so comfortable getting into a context with people that sometimes we just don't have any type of understanding. Uh, the, the Samaritans, they were despised, right? I mean, the religious people, they looked down upon them. The political people, they looked down upon them. They were just kind of, they, they were like mutts. They were half-breeds, and, and people just didn't like the Samaritans. And all of a sudden, because of this great persecution, we see the Holy Spirit orchestrating and taking those that were comfortable in the context of Jerusalem and saying, I'm going to send you to a place that you're not very familiar with, that you don't feel comfortable in. And I don't know how many times in my journey of walking and being led by the Spirit have I had that same experience, Right? Or sometimes you just end up in an environment and you're sitting there going, how the heck did I get here? But when you look back over it, you're like, ah, aha. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you are sovereignly moving and leading me this whole time. And every one of us, we have environments that are like Samaria that we, we just don't understand. They're, they're cultures, they're people that we just don't, we don't always get. And yet... And yet, Holy Spirit, when we're led by him, will lead us into those. Sometimes, it might even be in your own workplace. People, friends, bosses, employees that, that you just don't always get. And you really, let's be honest, let's, let's be real here. You probably don't even get along with. And let's get really down to it. You probably have some type of resentment or prejudice towards. Oh, no, not me. Yeah. Yeah, you. Yeah, me. We all had that. And yet, the Holy Spirit had the way of leading us intentionally into those places. And then we see, through a crazy string of supernatural events, we see that the Apostle Paul, in Acts 28, uh, he is led to this place of Rome. And Rome was, was the, dominant, the dominant power. They were politically, military, they, they were just dominant. Or they, they ruled overall. And, and Paul, I mean, through imprisonments, through beatings, through snake bites, through shipwrecks, through standing before governors, somehow, some way, he ends up in jail in Rome. And, and it was said at that time that all Reds, 
all roads led to Rome. And so uh, really, in, in the New Testament context, Rome was the ends of the earth for that time. All right? And so we see in Romans, uh, sorry, in, in Acts 28, 30, we see that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed in Rome. Paul is led there through bonds and shackles. He is in prison, and what happens? He doesn't say, well, this sucks. How did I get here? You know, I, I'm the apostle Paul. You know, I thought that I was going to come to Rome and plant a church, and it would be really hip and cool, and God was going to do some awesome, crazy things, and it would be, we are going to take the city of Rome. But now I'm in, I'm in prison, but we see in Acts 28 that the, the apostle Paul, even while he's in prison, he begins to preach the word of God. He begins to boldly proclaim, and many people in Rome began to convert to Christianity, came into a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Apostle Paul allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him, to guide him, and he trusted in the unknown. In fact, in, uh, earlier in Acts 20, you'll have to look at later, 20, between 20, 21, 22, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul has a vision and he gets a prophetic word about uh, bonds and shackles and these things that await for him. But we see that the, the people that were close to Paul, they had the same vision. And it's interesting that the, the people that are close, the disciples that were with Paul, they encourage them, they say, don't go to Jerusalem, right? Don't go there because if you go, bad things await. And the Apostle Paul, he has the same vision by the Spirit and he says, bring it on. I'm going. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to preach the good news wherever I go. And so we see the Apostle Paul being led by the Spirit, being continually led by the Spirit. And he goes, and somehow from Jerusalem, he ends up in prison in Rome. And throughout that, there's this trust in the unknown. There's a, there's a leading that the Apostle Paul just says, I submit myself to your will. I submit myself to your plan. And this, this is what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. This is what it means to be, as the Apostle Paul said, filled with the Spirit of Christ. To be full of His presence. Not just that salvation, not just in one encounter you had in 1973, but to be a person that every day is continually trusting and asking and saying, help me, Holy Spirit. I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need your edification. I need wisdom. I need knowledge. I want to trust in you. And sometimes you're going to take me into places that I don't understand and I don't really know and I don't get. But I trust you anyways. That's what a spirit-filled Christian is really all about. And that is truly, to me, what Pentecostalism is completely about. Trust in the unknown. Not getting sidetracked by all the other hoopla, the charismania that goes on. But saying, we trust in you. And when supernatural things happen, we want it to point, point to Christ. When supernatural things happen that I don't understand, we want it to point to Christ. I'm not going to glorify these things anymore. There's just stuff. Are they real? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I challenge you. Please c come to me after if you have issues with that and say, but what about this? Well, I would love to journey with it. I would love to talk to you and say, yeah, let's go there. Let's go there for a moment. They are real. They're for today. And God desires every Christian to be full of his spirit continually. All right? Not just when you're saved. Not just when you had one encounter, but every day to wake up and say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? You're with me. You're with me. You're leading me. I trust. I trust in you. Can we stand? I apologize if I went a little long. And, you know, normally I, normally I, like, to, I like to expository preach. And I just flow better that way. But you're in a topical series. And so I, I want to come here and just come behind the leadership and just add to what they have taught and just, just bless what they've taught. But maybe also, and this is why, this is why I love Pastor Matt, because he ha, he's not afraid to have people from different backgrounds and contexts in. And, and I honor him for that. You know, there's a lot of guys, just because I have the word Assembly of God attached to my name, there's a lot of people in the evangelical circles that would have never allowed me, never allowed me to come in and, and speak in their pulpit. And so thank you. It's, it's an honor to do that. But, uh, but I hope you see that we're, we're on the same journey, right? You see that? You know, no matter what background you come, wh whether it was the Bigfoot or, or the stepchild, and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, God has a way of bringing us into a divine order. Or whether you're dealing with Corinth problems like I deal with sometimes, God has a way of just bringing that 
into order. And, and this is the beauty of the Holy Spirit, is that when we trust in him, he has a way of aligning things. He has a way of structuring things. He has a way of speaking to us in supernatural ways that sometimes are beyond our understanding. But when we look back, we go, that was God. That was a God moment. That was a Holy Spirit moment. I didn't get it all the time, but, but I see now. I see now looking at the fruit of it. I see now that those manifestations, those things I don't always understand, God was in that. And so can we do this? Can I ask you to just to close your eyes before Pastor Matt comes and does communion? Not because it's super spiritual, just because it helps us to focus in. And I want you to put your hands out uh, just like this, in, in kind of a, a posture of receiving. And I just want to pray corporately over you this morning. I just want to, I just want to pray a blessing. I just want to pray corporately over you and, and just ask for, for a fresh infilling of his spirit. And that, that looks different for every one of us. Once again, this is where my denomination went off. We, we tried to say that, well, it has to look like this for every person. It doesn't. Every one of us respond differently. Holy Spirit knows you intimately. He knows your ins and outs. And so he's going to minister to each and every one of you in this moment differently. And I'm, I'm okay with that. So I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for this, this wonderful congregation here at Exodus. I thank you for the heart that they have to be followers of Christ to be a people that are truly trying to walk out the Great Commission in this community, to see people come into a saving knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Not just good news of a message, but good news that, that brings transformation. And Lord, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to just share my heart, to, to open your scriptures, to walk through this very quickly to walk through this, this whole experience of what it means to be a people filled with the Spirit. But Lord, I, I'm fully aware that, that there's only so much I can articulate. There's only so much I can communicate. And so right now, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to come and just move in each and every individual life and begin to minister in a way that they sense your presence in a real and tangible way, that they sense something of God is happening here. And Lord, if there's a fear... If there's a, just kind of a, well, I don't know if that's really for me. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would soften every heart and allow them to take a posture of just receiving from you. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now to come and baptize your church once again. Fill us to overflowing once again. I pray right now that you would come and just flood every heart with your presence. Lord, not so that they could be super spiritual or even charismatic, but Lord, so that they can be a people empowered by your spirit, a people that are truly led by your spirit into the unknown. And Lord, give them a greater trust in what you have for their lives. Help them to make a practice of waking up every morning and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you today. As we sang that early, I need you, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. And so just flood their hearts with your presence. Flood their hearts with your spirit. Baptize them in Jesus' name. In the power of your might. And we love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you. Amen. Matthew, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a seat. And uh, thanks, Tim. We finish every Sunday at Exodus uh, with taking communion. And uh, some of you that may come from different backgrounds, um, some churches call it Eucharist, some call it communion, some call it the Lord's table. But essentially what we're doing is uh, when Jesus, the last supper, the last night before.